Hey, I'm Chauncey Jenkins, and you're listening to the Monarchist Basketball Show. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Basketball Show. The fellas just got back from a road trip, and we've got Coach Jones in the house. Coach, ready to talk to some ba- talk some basketball? Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was uh, uh, a, a long trip. We're very happy to be back and uh, going to try to use this time that we have to, uh, you know, continue, you know, move, moving forward and, and, and improving our basketball team. Great to talk with you as always, Coach. Um, let's start with Ball State. Uh, you obviously go to Muncie. It's a five-point game at the end, and you end up with a loss. What was your overall thoughts on this one? Disappointing to lose. You know, I, I think we certainly had opportunities. We, you know, we made some errors down the stretch. We didn't twice. We didn't check out on the free throw line, which is inexcusable. Uh, and then the last one basically sealed the, the, the game. But there was one, you know, a, a few possessions before that, that the ball state scored both times, you know, and then. You know, I do think there were plenty of positives to take out of that game, uh, even though we, 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 we lost. Um, you know, when you go on the road, you've got to you've got to give yourself the best chance possible. And I'm not sure that we did that. We did enough to, you know, to put ourselves in position where, you know, we, we could have won, but we didn't you know, do some of those things. And they're little things. They're not, you know, nothing that's going to ever make a highlight film. But that that's why coaches forever, right? They're always talking about the little things, the details. And, you know, I think we showed some of our inexperience maybe of not paying attention to the, to those details. And it cost us in, in a game we could have won. I, I, you know, I don't know that we, you know, we deserved to win, but at least we were in a position that had we done a few more of those things, we, you know, we could have had a chance. So you're talking about those mistakes. There was one inbound play that, we ended up getting the five-second rule called on us, and we had a timeout left. Can you talk about what you guys said before that? That was yeah, that that was a hundred percent my my fault. We we have a play, you know, in, in that kind of situation for a, a, a quick score. One of the things that Ball State, you know, had had been doing all game was you know switching switching screens. I tried to tweak the play, and, and basically got too cute. And that just took us beyond the five second, you know, as Vashon, you know, as a freshman, he was a little hesitant, you know, he could have gotten rid of it a little bit quicker, but that was, you know, that one was a hundred percent on me trying to do too much. And the thinking was good. I mean, you all didn't see it, but Bryce was coming wide open. It's just, it, it took too long. And, you know, I was the one that, kind of, you know, diagrammed that up and, and made that change of a, of a play we call Hokey. Uh, uh, that just made a change on it um, in the huddle. All right. And then we're going to talk about Arkansas. Uh, another tough fought game. Uh, Old Dominion loses 77-86. Um, but that's a very good elite eight caliber team, a lot of people are saying, in Arkansas. Tough place to play. What were your overall thoughts on that one? You know, we, we did a lot of good things. But again, you know, we, we didn't do enough to beat that kind of an op- opponent. You know, anytime, 
you know, you want to pull off that, that upset, you know, it, it, it comes down to, you know, every, everybody notices when you hit big shots and, and that kind of thing. But again, free throw checkouts, you, you, you better believe in practice today, we, we watched every single one of those, you know, opportunities that, that we had at, at the, when teams, you know, miss free throws and it just, it, it will bite you in the butt seemingly every time, you know, we had some opportunities, I, I think to, to score at the rim and we, we took some really difficult shots and, you know, I, I know you, you'll want to talk about the, the free throw disparities, but we've got to be stronger going in there, you know, only shooting five free throws, you know, we've, we've got to, we've got to look for contact. You know, we can't try to avoid contact and throw up these crazy shots. And I, I know we shot a good percentage, you know, in, or, you know, good in ball state, uh, a good three point percentage in, in the Arkansas game, but we've got to, we've got to shoot better shots and find a way to get to the free throw line. You know, if you're avoiding contact, you know, that means you're taking away the opportunity to get fouled. All right, Coach, before I let Mike get too much into that, you were on Scott Jackson's show a little bit earlier. I had the opportunity to listen to that, and you guys touched on something that I want to expand upon a little bit more. So we talked about the Ball Street, or you talked about the Ball State and the Arkansas game. Was Ball State was a more physical game, and the Arkansas game was a faster game. Arkansas was content with playing fast, which was great because you wanted to play fast. You talked about that with the team ahead of time, and you were going to keep it fast if you could. Last year in the Sun Belt, we saw a physical style of play, and the officials seemed to let that physical style play go. Do you expect that we'll see that same thing this year and games will look more like the Ball State physicality? Or because of having the ability to get out and be faster this year, you can kind of write your own script? You know, there, there's lots of different ways of, of, of being physical. You know, Ball State basically was physical, you know, in, in the paint. You know, their defense, they packed it in and, and tried to, to not allow their shell defense to get distorted. So th- their physicality the other night was a different type of physicality than what we really saw in a lot of the, the Sun Belt last year. The physicality in the Sun Belt last year, and there were some teams that had really good uh, big guys, and I think of Southern Miss in, in particular. Hase was a big guy, and they had two bigger forwards. But when I referenced how physical the league was, it's more kind of on the perimeter. Teams like Troy and South Alabama and Texas State, you know, defensively at the guard spots, you know, the officials just let a lot go. And so it, it was kind of a, a different situation. I, I fully expect that I don't see the, the Sun Belt changing, even though a lot of the players have changed. I don't know that the style of play, you know, for a lot of the schools is going to change that greatly. There's also a lot of teams, you know, a number of teams that want to get up and down in, in the Sun Belt as, as well. We're certainly not the, the, the only one. So, you know, we, we've got to be, you got to be tough enough. You got to be strong enough to kind of withstand the physicality because again, it's not attractive to be, you know, we're, we're not going to get out there and it's not a race. So you, you got to play basketball the way it's going to be played. If we don't, um, you know, learn to handle the physicality, whether we're on defense or offense, you know, we'll never get to the running. But if we can hold our own in, in, in that physical battle, and then when we have opportunities, 
the way we had the other night, you know, and can convert quickly, you know, that, that really bodes well for us. But we've got a ways to go in terms of, you know, handling the physical nature and, you know, people are going to, you know, pack it in the way Ball State, you know, did. Not everybody, but that's, you know, I think people are going to dare us to shoot threes. Now, if we're able to drive the basketball, right, to attack, to get into the paint, collapse the defense and kick it out, which we were able to do in the Arkansas game, that's when I think, you know, we can shoot more and, and shoot a better percentage than we have many times. That's what happened Monday. If we're just playing around the playing around the perimeter, you know, that makes those three-point shots uh, really hard. We don't have an inside game to throw it to somebody in the post to, to force teams to help and then kick it back out. You know, that's, you know, that's something that, you know, in the past we've been able to manufacture or figure out just with personnel. That's, you know, that's just not a strength of this team, but we've got to move the ball. You know, y'all talk about making the extra pass and all that. Yeah, we've got to make the extra pass, but we've got to move the defense around initially. If you don't move the defense around, they're locked into their help positions. If they've got to chase you, you know, you're cutting through and you're playing side to side and reversing the, the basketball. Now, all of a sudden, there's gaps, right? There's lanes that guys like Chauncey and Vashon and, and Devin, you know, can get in there. And then do they, do, do they help? And when they help, you know, you got to be willing to kick that ball out to the spotted up shooters. If they don't help, that's when, you know, Chauncey can get to the rim and, and create things that way. You know, it all works together. But ball movement and, to a certain degree, people movement are vital to being able to end up with a three-point shot. You don't just come down. I mean, you don't just come down. And, and I would encourage, you know, folks, watch the Golden State Warriors. They don't just play around the outside. I mean, they're cutting through and they're flying around and they're driving it and kicking it. And, you know, you, you want the defense to have to chase you. That, that's why, you know, as, as a defensive team, um, you, you know, you, you, if, if people are really good three point shooters, you know, you don't want to literally, and it might be counterintuitive, but extend your defense and have your defense spread out because what that does is that allows that penetration. Then you react to the offense, right? And that's when they, when you react to them, that's when they're able to, you know, kick it out to, to the spotted up shooter. What you want to do in those situations is keep teams from being able to drive the basketball. And then that way you are, you're locked in, you're in front a lot of, you know, in a lot of the same way that the ball state was with us. All right. So about six minutes to go in the first half against Arkansas, Devin Caesar gets on the floor for the first time and he goes off. And you were just talking about player movement. And his speed clearly had an impact on Arkansas and how they were defending against Old Dominion. Talk to us about his impact on the game against Arkansas. I mean, what, 15 points in 18 minutes. I mean, I, I think that says, I mean, he, he was, you know, his, his speed, he's got a different gear. And we've been saying that all, all year long. But, you know, he was just going and, and Arkansas wasn't ready. And he was going by him and, you know, he shot a, a, a pull up. He got to the rim, you know, once or twice and, you know, as they were having to react to chasing us around, you know, he actually got some pretty good looks from three as, as well. Um, so it's simply he played very aggressively, but at the same time, he played very much under control. He didn't force anything. 
And when he plays like that, he can be a real positive factor. You know, his role, and, and I've been very specific with him, is, you know, he might not play a whole lot of minutes some games. I mean, the, the truth is Chauncey Jenkins is our best player. And Devin backs up Chauncey Jenkins. Chauncey Jenkins is going to play the most minutes of anybody on our team, right? Barring injury or, or fouls or, or whatever. So, you know, Dev's got to make the most when he gets those opportunities as he did, you know, in, in, in the, the first half, he's got to make them count, you know, and he, you know, whether you want to talk about a microwave, you know, uh, you know, what was it, Vinny Johnson, you know, the microwave play for the Detroit Pistons, yeah. but making his presence known and, you know, giving us a, a shot of adrenaline, right? You know, a big lift, you know, and if that's not the case, then, you know, there's other guys that, you know, are, are uh, probably going to play more minutes. But he, he came in uh, against Arkansas and gave us a, a, a huge lift. And then once, you know, once he established himself that way, we went with him, you know, and, and certainly tried to, you know, get him in there as, as much as we could. So, Coach, I've, I've got two kind of points and questions here that they're related, but certainly, you know, aren't driven 100% by it. We've talked about how rebounding was a concern of yours going into this season. So coming off this road trip, you out-rebound Arkansas 39-35, to and you out-rebound Ball State 34-33. to Obviously, that's a huge team effort. You got rebounds coming from everyone. But me watching the game, I saw some bright spots of some guys that are forced into a little bit more action than you would have anticipated at the beginning of the season with Danny and Leroy grabbing rebounds and you know, doing some good stuff with some putbacks. Can you talk to us about the road trip and rebounding and those two guys and, and their road trip? Well, you know, I do, obviously both games, we, you know, we won the rebounding battle on the stat sheet, but the ball state game in particular, um, we, we needed to do a better job. We gave up some opportunities where, I mean, we, we literally had the ball in our hands and they, they were able to get it. And, you know, oftentimes, and, and certainly in, in, in these cases, when teams offensive rebound, that's, that's like the highest points per possession. And that was the case, you know, in, 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 in the ball state game, I don't know exactly, but it was, you know, the average is like 1.03 uh, points per possession, just, you know, just average what is considered, you know, good offense. I, I want to say they were like one one point six something off of offensive rebound. So even though we might have not have given up a lot, you know, we gave up enough in, in a one what essentially was a one possession game. So we still have to get better. Leroy and Danny are learning. They were in there battling. You know, they're kind of, you know, in, in, what is it uh, under trial by fire? Is that the? Yeah, that's one of them. They get a lot of on the job training. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying as hard as they can. They're both very inexperienced. I'm not sure any of us would have expected them to play, be playing the minutes that they are right now. But they, you know, they got in there, they battled, but they're going to keep getting better. And I think that's the thing that is the bright spot is, you know, they're working hard. They got a great attitude. They got a lot to learn. But, you know, they played against two, two, two pretty good teams. You know, the Jihad, the center for Ball State. Is a, is a pretty good player. And so, you know, they got to go head to head with him and 
as I said, I hopefully they, they learned a lot. But you know, the rebounding part again, it wasn't terrible. But for us to be the kind of team we we want to be, for us to be able to you know win some of these games on the road against quality competition, you know, we will will have to be even better uh, on 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 our boards. Um, I, I thought uh, you know, and I'm I'm speaking more of the defensive boards. I thought in, in the Arkansas game. Uh, we we did, and it was collective. I think RJ had a couple, Ty had a couple, Leroy had three offensive rebounds. You know, those are all extra possessions. Danny obviously had the big one when he had the follow dunk to start the game. You know, uh, I, I think right now our our offensive rebounding might be a little bit ahead of our defensive rebounding, but you know, we'll we'll keep working on it and hopefully, uh, you know, get to the point where we feel real comfortable with it. All right. Uh, I don't want to be hard on Leroy, but he had a couple possessions this weekend where we tried to bounce the ball. Can we uh, not have that happen anymore? <laughs> I'm sorry. Are, are you assuming that this hasn't been delivered? Oh, I'm assuming it has. Yeah. But with his As size, said, he just needs to go up. And easier said than done. You know, that that dribble oftentimes is a, a response to feeling hurried or off balance. And you know, every day in, in practice, there's some drills that we do with Leroy trying to, you know, keep the ball up. Don't bring it down where, where the, the little people can get to it and certainly, you know, not dribble the ball. But again, it's a process. It's, it, it is, you know, it's frustrating when, you know, he gets a good pass from a teammate or an offensive rebound. And, you know, it looks like to, to all of us, you know, it's an easy opportunity, but, you know, he's, he, he's a work in progress and he's, he's, he's doing everything that, that he can, you know, we just, it, it'd be great, you know, when he learns that lesson and takes it right up. Yeah. Not trying to be hard on him. Uh, he's obviously performed well. I hope he continues to improve uh, both games. You, we touched on it earlier. There were major free throw disparities. Uh, we shot five, three free throws against Arkansas versus their 29 and then Ball State, we shot 11 versus their 30. Uh, huge disparities in both uh, a one-possession game, essentially, and then a, a few-possession game that if you can flip those numbers, it's a huge advantage. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll say a couple of things. Number one, the officiating crew of the Arkansas game was as, as good as you can get. I mean, those guys are – Big time officials, they're they're good guys. They communicate. You know, if if if, if I, I had to, you know, uh, evaluate, you know, they they had a really good game. So I, I have no complaints with uh, the the officials. You know, we've got to do a better job. And you know, if, and I talked about this earlier, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But when we drive in there, right? Because we're driving in, we're getting points in the paint because we're going in there. But we're when we don't score, right? some of the shots that were thrown up, we have to be stronger. We spent time driving and, you know, hitting with pads and stuff and, and having the guys seek contact because that contact is what gets you to the free free throw line. So that's, you know, that's, that definitely is, is part of it there. The other part quite simply is, you know, and, and, and maybe that dis- those disparities are more than what you would expect, but when you go on the road, you know, you're, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, uh, it, it just, and, 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 you know, 
any official will tell you, I don't, you know, I don't officiate any different on the road or at home, but everybody shoots more free throws at home. It's just the way, the way it is. And so that was a factor in, in both games, right? Without a doubt. Uh, we've got to do a better job of, of seeking that contact and trying to get to the free throw line and, uh, you know, some, somehow trying to figure it out so that it's more, it's a more even distribution of, of free throws. All right. So in the second half against Arkansas, obviously we shot the best three points percentage we've seen in years, eight of 13, 61%, well, almost rounded up to 62%. Obviously, you mentioned it earlier. It's player movement and ball movement combined to get those open shots, and kicking it out is a huge part of that. With this new free-flowing offense, should we see more uh, shots like this and the percentage kind of creep up from years past? I mean, I, I hope so. I, you know, I, look, I, a lot of it was actually, you know, who was shooting them too. All right. I mean, Bryce hit two or three in, in that second half. Chauncey had a couple, you know, and Chauncey's came as a result. Uh, you know, people were worried about him going by and he was able to, to knock those down. RJ had a couple where, you know, his feet were set and we were, we're trying to work with RJ of, of uh, you know, really looking for opportunities to, to spot up and, 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 and be what we call shot ready. So when the ball comes to him, you know, he, he doesn't have to do anything. He's not, you know, he's not having to dribble or get open. Is you know, he's ready and anticipating the pass and anticipating the shot. You know, Dev not, you know, knocked down a couple. And, you know, I think Dev is a guy, he definitely can shoot the three. He's a little bit streaky, but you know, he certainly has that ability. So we've got maybe more guys that can shoot it. It's just, you know, finding them. And, you know, having guys, as I said, that are shot ready and, you know, looking for those opportunities. A big thing with Chauncey, you know, we're really, uh, you know, talking to him a lot. Like, we'll stop practice I, I, right in the middle of, of a possession. You know, we're playing and someone kicked in the basketball and he caught it, and did something else. And I just, before the play ended, I just blew the whistle. And I'm like, please shoot that shot. You know, we, we need you to shoot. You can make that shot. That's a good shot. You know, you don't have to do something, you know, that it's, it has a higher degree of difficulty, right? That, that's a great shot for us. So, you know, we're, we're trying to get the message across to, to all of them, uh, but especially those guys that I, I think can be quality three-point shooters. So before we started a recording, Coach, you shared with us a little bit of analytics that you and Drew had talked about with regards to free throws and where we were in the country nationally shooting free throws. So... When y'all are talking analytics and you're talking about stats, Mike and I were talking before we recorded about long two-point shots and how many of those happen throughout the flow of the game. Do you want those to happen? The way that we shot threes in the last game and if the offense is moving the way it is, obviously it seems like those shots would be a much preferred shot than say a two-pointer just inside the arc do you talk about those sorts of things and when you do share with monarch nation what's in your mind because we're watching it just as a fan so you know Devin, probably the best thing he does with his speed is is, you know stop on a dime and elevate up and shoot mid-range shots that's he's just really good at that chauncey is terrific in in the mid-range the sean has uh, an assortment and, and he you know, he, he really struggled the other night, but 
he has an assortment of floaters and, you know, kind of jump shots in, in, in that mid-range. Other than those guys, you know, we're not really looking for, you know, Ty needs to take it to the basket. RJ needs to take it to the basket. Bryce needs to shoot threes. You know, uh, so for, for a lot of our guys, it should be all the way to the basket, right, or a, a, a spot-up three. There are, we do have, as I said, those three guys that, you know, have a knack for playing in, in that mid-range. You know, mid-range jump shots are can be a, you know, a, a good part of an effective offense if you shoot a high percentage. You know, we're constantly asking guys, you know, be aware, you know, but is, is, is that mid-range, you know, a, a guarded mid-range shot is not, you know, that that's a really, you know, percentage-wise, analytics-wise, that's not a shot we're really dying to, to to take. So, you know, I'd love it if Bryce Baker's, you know, if he shot, you know, 80% of his shots were threes, right? I mean, I think that'd be a great, a great number for him. You know, Emo's a guy that that, that loves the, the the mid-range and he's, you know, he's, he's made some big ones for us. Kind of the, the game winner at, not at Texas State, that, that was a floater, but the at Georgia State, you know, he hit a, a big one as the shot clock was going down. But with his, you know, his lack of size, you know, that mid-range is, is, is tough. Uh, now, one, one other, and I, I, I forgot, but you know, we, we really have uh, grown to be very confident in Dorico shooting that 15 to 16 foot jump shot. That's something that, you know, we, we would like to, to, to see. I mean, it's a, a good shot. And if he can, you know, get free and, and knock that down, I think that's a, a good high percentage shot. But, you know, in, in, in answering your question, you know, we, we want to shoot more threes or we want to shoot more layups at the rim. If we shoot more layups at the rim, though, we've, we've got to do a better job of finishing and playing through contact. And, and again, getting into the, the free throw uh, discussion, you know, that's also how you get to the free throw line. Those mid-range, except for those guys that I mentioned, you know, are, are not, you know, ultimately, you know, high percentage you know, shots for us. All right. Well, you dropped both their names. Emo uh, was limited this weekend. Could you give us an update on what's going on with Emo? And obviously, Dorico has been suspended. Is there an update on Dorico? So Emo, you know, he kind of hurt his shoulder a little bit, and he he could have played more like against Ball State. But what happened with Emo? He, I mean, he's fine. He's healthy. It is basically Devin playing so well. Uh, just ate up Emo's minutes in Arkansas. I mean, that's where they came from. What we did was move Chauncey to the point and let Dev play at the, at the two-guard spot. And so that affected Emo's minutes, but he's healthy. And, uh, you know, is, you know, and, uh, Dorico, you know, is most people know, you know he, he didn't travel with the team on the road trip. You know, today he rejoined us. He, you know, you know, he apologized to the team, had some, you know, words for them. I think he's, you know, he's he's remorseful of, about uh, of you know stuff that that happened. But you know, he, he very much wants to be back on the team. And you know, I, I think you know everyone the the entire team is you know happy to have him back. And you know, it's kind of incumbent upon him to earn his minutes. You know, he doesn't. You know, he's not coming back and immediately going to be back in the starting lineup, but what's past is past and you know he he asked 
for uh, you know for forgiveness or you know a second chance and you know the team as as I said welcomed him back and you know we're anxious and ready to move forward and you know excited to have him and uh, you know we'll just keep working all right so obviously we got Thanksgiving coming up and we have a little break before the next game against Princeton so what are this what's the schedule like these next couple of weeks well, we had, you know, we Tuesday was a travel day for us, and a long, a lot of travel. You know, the the, the five a.m. you know wake up call and uh, half an hour, forty five minute ride to the airport, the Northwest Arkansas airport. You know, then a one hour flight connection in Chicago O'Hare, then a two hour flight, then what seemed like an eternity waiting for our bags in the Norfolk uh, airport, which you know kind of seems as much as we've spent, you know, it seems like that's beginning to happen more and more, but, you know, so we just encouraged our guys to get a good night's sleep, came in today, Wednesday, um, you know, had a good practice, watched, watched a bunch of, we watched the ball state breakdown today and then came out and had a, you know, good practice and the focus today, tomorrow, we'll watch the Arkansas film tomorrow, but today, tomorrow and Friday will be, us, um, you know, really focused. And there, there's, again, there's a bunch of things that we've got to address. We've got to play a lot more situational basketball. If we're going to be in close games, you know, hopefully we can, you know, handle some situations better. We've got to work on our zone. we got to work on zone offense. You know, things that we just, you know, we're not confident that we're there yet uh, in, in terms of where we want to be. Then uh, starting Saturday, you know, we'll start with the the Princeton prep. Uh, team's got Sunday off, and then we play practice Monday and Tuesday, uh, leading up to the Princeton game. That's a big one. I mean, I'm really glad we're playing at home. Uh, they're a very good team. I mean, they beat Rutgers in their first game. Rutgers is supposed to have a you know a, an excellent team again this year. I think it speaks volumes to Mitch Henderson, who's the coach of Princeton. They lost a bunch of guys last year. They obviously were a Sweet 16 team. And they came back with, you know, obviously good players, but, but you know, new players, uh, players that were in the program, but, you know, weren't starters or whatever last year. And they're playing their tails off right now. So that's going to be a really tough one. And, you know, we just have to get better. I mean, that, that's the thing. When you have opportunities like this and, you know, we didn't go in, in, in when we were scheduling, we didn't go into it saying, hey, we need to, after this, we need to, you know, build in a break right there. That's just kind of, the, the way it happened, there's a, there's more time this year because our holiday tournament is is right there those couple days before Christmas. Normally, you know, you're playing those in, in November around Thanksgiving. So we've got more days in November and early December. Um, and so the, the games, there's this gap and then there's another one in December. When we get in those, you know, it's not like, well, let's, you know, let's just rest up and shoot around. It, we, we have very specific things that we can work on and, and improve and, you know, try to get our guys, again, we've got a bunch of new guys also, try to get them as many repetitions and get them up to speed as, as quickly as we can. All right, Coach. So before Mike's last question, you mentioned about Devin eating minutes up. That made me think if he keeps playing the way he is, then maybe we're going to have to start calling him Pac-Man because of all the, the minutes that he's eating. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe that'll stick. Last week when we talked, it was right before signing day. So obviously that's come and gone since then. We weren't able to really talk about that at all. I know Monarch Nations can be excited. They're going to 
get a chance to hear from Coach Jordan Brooks and obviously Jordan and recruiting go hand by hand in hand. Could you talk to Monarch Nation for just a, you know a moment or two about Ethan Lathan, Caden Diggs, and Dion Ware coming in, and uh, maybe a little bit about those guys? I, you know, we're very excited. They're outstanding basketball players. They're outstanding talent. But just as importantly, I think they're terrific young men. And I mentioned on Scott's show earlier tonight, you know, it's almost like it's obligatory for coaches to, to say that, you know, when you sign somebody, yeah, they're, you know, they're, he's a great young man or he's a great kid or whatever. The, these guys, these guys, it's a special group. I mean, they, yes, they're talented, but uh, great personality, great character. Dion Ware is kind of the, uh, the, the most gregarious, you know, he's a high-flying athlete. He's really a, a talented, you know, offensive player, playmaker. But, you know, he's got this infectious smile and he's always positive. And, you know, I just kind of love his approach. Caden Diggs is, is more quiet, very much more reserved. You know, one of the things that I've said, he's got great positional height. He's at least 6'7", you know, probably going to be 6'8", is, is a, a, a three-man you know, he can defend multiple positions. He, he's got a skill set where he can, you know, handle the ball and do things that smaller players uh, tend to do. And he's really working hard. His, uh, his coach, uh, Bruce Kelly up at, at Bullis is a very good coach. And one of Bruce's assistant coaches, Glenn Stokes, is a guy that played for me at American University. He had a long pro career and Glenn is working overtime with Caden on his stroke. I mean, if there's one area that, you know, that Caden needs to work on is extending his range. And if he can do that and become a knockdown shooter, then, you know, A, that's going to be great. And B, I, you know, I'm going to have to buy Glenn dinner or something like that if the NCAA allows it. But Caden is more, you know, he as I said, he's reserved and quiet, but, you know, great kid. Ethan is like, you know, this big old kid, and he's got so much talent, you know, at that size to be able to move and do some of the things that he does. But he's like wide-eyed, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he's so excited and it's, it's just such a positive outlook, you know, on, on him, you know, uh, from him, I, I guess. So I, I think, you know, obviously from a basketball standpoint, Monarch Nation is going to like these guys, but they're going to really, you know, become attached to to them as, as people as well. Well, I know I can't wait to see them on campus, uh, but we do have this team to root for the rest of the way. We're going to talk before the Princeton game again uh, early next week. So can't wait to talk on Monday. Have a great week and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Thank you, fellas. Always a pleasure. After the break, we're going to be joined by Coach Jordan Brooks. So stay tuned. All right, Monarch Nation, we are back with the Monarchist Basketball Show, and we are proud to announce we are welcomed by Coach Jordan Brooks, fresh off one of the best recruiting classes in Old Dominion history. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Fantastic. Obviously, we're going to start back in how you landed at Old Dominion. So you've coached at low majors, mid-majors, high majors. Um, you come from Xavier to Old Dominion. What uh, kind of led you to that decision to take the job here and become a Monarch? Yeah, you know, I've been actually uh, knowing Coach Jones for a while throughout my, you know, coaching career. You know, Coach Jones and my father knew each other through coaching and 
you know, building that relationship throughout the years with Coach Jones. He had reached out to me, I want to say, was it last summer, maybe? Um, he, had, he had gave me a call and, and told me he probably was going to have a potential opening, you know, on the staff and asked me, if, you know, if I would be interested. And, you know, I, I kind of thought it was a no-brainer, you know, just uh, one, coming to work under, you know, a great coach like Coach Jones, someone who's been in the business, you know, for a while now, who knows the ins and outs, and who knows how to win, who's been in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, that and, you know, have an opportunity to come closer to home and, you know, me being from the Washington, D.C. area, only being a couple hours away, you know, I kind of thought it was just a no-brainer for me, you know, coming to be a part of the Old Dominion basketball family. All right, Coach. So, obviously, we're really thrilled that you're here, and you've made an immediate impact on recruiting. Arguably, this recruiting class for 2024, some folks have said it's the best ever. It's certainly arguably in the top couple. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, when you're talking to recruits, and don't spill all your secrets, but when you're talking to recruits, what is it about Old Dominion that is attractive and was attractive in this recruiting class for the three young student athletes that are going to be joining us? Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest things, man, is obviously coming to a school like Old Dominion. I think what really kind of attracts, you know, these kids is once they actually get the opportunity to come to campus and they see our facilities, they see Chartway Arena, you know, they see, you know, our practice facility, they see our locker rooms and stuff like that. I think it's kind of, you know, a huge eye opener for kids before they, I mean, once they get to campus, you know, obviously before they get here, you know, they they might not have an idea, you know, of, of what Old Dominion basketball is, you know, and the, the history and the tradition. But once they come here, I think, you know, kids are, are usually kind of blown away for what they see. All right. So I briefly touched on it earlier. You coached at Xavier before Old Dominion. I'm wondering, uh, so obviously you recruit in the portal as well with Coach Jones and Jamal. Um, You've experienced what it's like at a high major. Do you think that helps you kind of sell the vision to Old Dominion better, having been at a place like Xavier that has all the bells and whistles? Yeah, I think that that definitely helps a lot. I think you guys touched on it earlier. You know, I've been at, you know, low majors. I've been at mid majors and, and, and the high major level. You know, but coming from a place like Xavier and coming to Old Dominion, it definitely helps a lot. A lot of people might not know this, but Xavier's a small private school. It's roughly around 4,000 to 5,000 students. But the basketball's big, right? And, you know, they, they've done a great job in winning and, and, and getting the program to where it is. And coming here to Old Dominion and seeing the campus, seeing the, the, the facilities, seeing the, the arena, there's definitely a lot of potential here at Old Dominion. So I think coming from Xavier and, like you said, that vision that I have, you know, in my mind for Old Dominion and letting these kids know, you know, that, you know, nowadays you really don't have to go to the the biggest school to get to where you want to go and you want to go somewhere where you're going to win. And that's how you get seen. And, you know, obviously being on the court and, and playing and having the right opportunity, that'll def- that definitely helps a lot as well. All right, let's go way back in time here. So we'll come back to Old Dominion and present day, but let's go back to when Jordan was, let's say, little Jordan 
and uh, you started playing basketball as a kid. Talk to Monarch Nation and give them a kind of a peek into how you started playing basketball, why you started playing basketball, and then, you know, kind of all the way up through college and what your game was like and so to speak, so they kind of get a peek behind the scenes. <laughs> okay, great. So my father was a coach. Uh, he, he actually went to UMBC. He spent some time uh, coaching at UMBC under a coach by the name of uh, Jeff Bizdelic. Uh Coach Bizdelic, he was a head coach at Wake Forest. He's also been the head coach at, for the Denver Nuggets. Um, so he's got a well-known pedigree of coaching. So, you know, at that time, my dad, when he was coaching, he started coaching at a young age. But, you know, things, certain things kind of happened. You know, he started having you know kids and things like that. So he, he had to stop. He got away from it. But he was always around it, you know, even though he stopped coaching for a living. He, he coached AAU basketball. So he spent time coaching, uh, you know, guys like Steve Francis, who went to Maryland, and Mike Sweetney, who played at Georgetown, and Joe Forte, who went to Carolina. And those guys, he was coaching them for AAU. So when I was a kid, all I remember really is just being in the gym, shooting on the side course while they're practicing. And my dad also ran the Kenner League at Georgetown. It's a, a summer league in the summer. And back then they had like high school summer league going on. They had a college summer league going on and they had like a pro-am. So guys like Steve Francis and Joe Forte and all those guys would come play in that in the summer. So outside of when I was in the gym while my dad's coaching AAU basketball, in the summers I'm watching basketball. I'm around it at the summer league every summer. So it was basically eat, sleep, and drink basketball for me from watching it and then for me being a player as well. So I grew up playing AAU basketball for D.C. Assault. Um, I played on the same AAU team as Michael Beasley, Nolan Smith, who went to Duke, coaching at Louisville right now. Austin Freeman played at Georgetown. Chris Wright that played at Georgetown. So, you know, all of us were, you know, we, we grew up together playing on the same AAU teams. And, you know, I went on to play at Hampton University. All right, Coach. So, obviously, you played at Hampton. Yeah. You had a good career there. What led you into coaching? So, what kind of got me into coaching, man, one of my former AAU coaches, man, after I graduated from Hampton, I went and got my master's degree from a school called Goldie Beacom College in Wilmington, Delaware. And I came, once I, after I got my MBA, I moved back to D.C. And, you know, I just knew I wanted to be around the game. And my old AAU coach said, well, look, man, you need to come and you should coach, start coaching. And he's like, I got a, I got a young sixth grade team for you. And... He said, uh, and you can help me be the assistant on my 16 and under team. So I said, okay, cool. So I came back home and started coaching a young sixth grade AAU team of kids from the, the inner city of Washington, D.C. in the metropolitan area. And that was what got me into coaching. And, you know, it started off as, you know, really just helping kids. And Well, I'm still helping kids, but started off just giving back and you know, I kind of came up with that group from the sixth grade all the way until they were in the 10th grade. And, you know, by the time they got in the 10th grade, the ninth and 10th grade, you know, a lot of these the kids that I were coaching were some of the top kids in the country being recruited from everybody from Kentucky, Coach Calipari, to Boston College, to Arizona State, and Rhode Island. And, you know, they're getting recruited by a bunch of different schools. And, you know, that's kind of how I started, you know, building different relationships with a lot of different college coaches and um, my former head coach Kevin Nickelberry 
He's assistant at Florida State right now. He kind of seen what I was doing, you know, with the kids. And at the time, he was the head coach at Howard University. And, you know, after that summer, that 10th grade summer for those kids, he had an opportunity, uh, and, uh, you know, wanted to bring me on staff at Howard University. And I kind of thought it was a no-brainer for me to come and start coaching for a living. So that's kind well, of how my journey got started. Obviously, we want to, like, lock you up in a cage and not let people know how awesome of a job you're doing. But obviously, you know, we can't do that. It's plain to see. So let's talk about a little bit. In Before the break, Coach Jones talked a little bit about this 2024 recruiting class, Dion Ware, Caden Diggs, and Ethan Lathan. He talked to us a little bit about, about those players and about the excitement about them coming in. But more importantly, you know, they're great players, but they're even better human beings and great student athletes and just are going to fit real well. From a recruiter's perspective, and in all the articles and the social media posts that we've seen from these three guys, your name comes up a lot in the relationship that you have built along with Coach Jones and and the staff. I would say, what what are one or two things that you're most excited about each of the three guys? Yeah, we can let's start with uh, we can start with Dion. I think you know I think the biggest thing with Dion, what I'm most excited about is his athleticism and his how well he scores the basketball. Dion, he was a late bloomer coming out of high school. When I was at Southeastern Louisiana University, I first found out about him. He was living in New Orleans and and just watching his progression from, you know, the ninth grade to where he is now, man. He's just developed and just got so much better. But I think, like you said, the biggest thing that I'm really excited about him is his, you know, his athleticism and you know, how well he could just score the basketball. I think he could score it at all three levels. He could shoot it from the outside. Um, He can get downhill and get to the basket, and he can push up a little bit, and he scores. He'll he'll be really good in transition as well. Um, Secondly, we can talk about Ethan Lathan. I think what I'm really excited about with Ethan is just, one, his his size. He's 6'11", 6'11", every bit of it, and with him – with his size and his how athletic he is. I mean, when I watched him the last couple of years, he just, he's very mobile, right? Um, he's somebody who runs like a deer, so he'll be able to rim run, put pressure on the rim. I mean, I feel like he could switch ball screens really well. He'll be able to show hard on ball screens. He'll be able to drop coverage. But what really excites me is just his motor and how hard he plays. I think the biggest thing is, getting bigs and to understand how hard you got to play. And one thing about Ethan is, you know, you don't have to let him know, look, you got to have a motor to, to play. You know, I think that's just something in him. And that's kind of like a new skill set. And I think that's something that he has. Um, and lastly, Caden Diggs. What I'm really excited about Caden is his versatility. Defensively, he'll be able to guard multiple positions from one through four. Caden's a guy who can play off the bounce. He has a really good mid-range game and who can really shoot well off the dribble. And, you know, Caden's a guy who can guard the best player, but he can also show that he'll probably be able to be the best player on the floor. So, I mean, with these three guys, man, I think you said it, man. I know rankings really don't mean too much, but this recruiting class I think will be really good, and I think the fans have something to really be excited about. So you, you mentioned the word earlier, relationships. Uh, we, we've talked to a lot of coaches uh, in our short time of doing this show. 
They all mentioned how important relationships are in recruiting. Talk to me about how you go about establishing those and maintaining them. Yeah, like you said, man, I think relationships are huge. And I think, I think, I mean, I'll give one secret away that um, I don't want to say too much, but I think the key is just trying to identify talent as early as possible and, you know, starting to try to build a relationship before a lot of the other schools get involved, right? Because at that point, once everybody's involved, everybody's probably saying the same thing. And then the kid will probably, if you come in too late, the kid's going to be like, you know, everybody's saying the same thing. So you probably won't have that kind of that edge on a kid or not. But if you can establish a relationship with the kid and the family early enough to where they trust you, I think that's huge. But like you said, that boils down to just relationship building and trying to identify, you know, talent early enough. And, and sometimes it's not the kid who has the highest rank, but the kid who you, you kind of can evaluate and, and really see something in, and know he has a chance to, and believe in him, and know he has a chance to, to be special. And then my second question is about AAU basketball. We've heard a lot of good about AAU and a lot of bad. I imagine with some of the – these teams are kind of thrown together. They don't have the same kind of offenses and set defenses as a normal college or high school team might have. So how hard does that free-flowing kind of play make it when you're scouting a player and for their talent level? Yeah. So a lot of times, like, you know, with AAU basketball, I, I come from AAU, um, so, I, so, I, so I might be a little biased, um, but I definitely can see – know what you're talking about um, but a lot of times you know when these kids come from different AAU programs you know you're usually let's just say you're all these you're getting the top players from a state or bordering states to come play on one team so like you said they don't really have the time to practice per se every single day because you might have a kid that lives two hours away from another kid and it's kind of hard to get them to practice on a daily basis but to answer your question I think being able to evaluate them and their skill set without certain structure does, you know, dividends in a sense. And you try to, I'm not going to say, figure out how that skill set could fit into what you guys are doing at your program, you know, and, you know, how well he'll be able to fit in what you guys do. So just being able to identify, you know, wow, can this kid shoot or not? Or how well does he play off the bounce? How athletic is he? How well does he guard the ball? Does he play well off the ball? You know, does he play both sides of the ball? So, and just seeing how you can fit that into your program and what your needs are for a certain position. Just to piggyback on Mike's question there, Jordan, you talked a lot about kind of the offensive side of the ball and evaluating talent and uh, potential student athletes at the AAU level. We all know that Coach Jones is a big defense-oriented coach and how important that attention to detail is on defense. And if you are a liability on defense, it's going to be hard for you to find the floor. So when you're recruiting and, and you're watching AAU basketball where you know maybe on some of those squads, defense isn't the number one, how do you identify what players are likely to succeed in the type of defense that's expected at Old Dominion? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing is 
toughness, right? It's trying to figure out how tough a kid is, right? Because some, like you, you guys talked about it, it might, a kid playing for a certain AAU program, those coaches might not, you know, care that much about defense or they might not hold the kid accountable on the defensive end of the game. But just being able to judge how tough a kid is, does he have toughness in him? Does he play with grit? Or just talking to them as you're building a relationship with them and trying to figure out, you know, how much do you love ball? How much do you, you know, I actually love when kids tell me they're watching NBA games or if they're watching college games because it's like, okay, he actually cares or he actually loves the game, you know, because most of the time if you find a kid that really loves the game, he'll buy into whatever you're telling him when he comes because he wants to be great or he wants to be really good. So if he, when he comes, you tell him, like, look, um, the only way you're going to play is if you're able to guard. You know, so and an example of that early on when Devin Caesar first got here this summer and, you know, like you guys talked about, Coach Coach Jones really cares about the defensive side of the ball. So when Devin first got here, he was scoring, but he was every time he was scoring, he might have been giving up, you know, in the summer. And I said, look, Devin, I sat him down and Coach Jones sat him down and said, if you have any chance of wanting to play this year, you, you have to become better defensively. And, you know, from that day forward, Devin locked in and, and, you know, although he can score the ball really good, he really takes pride on defense now. And, and just using that as an example, you know, that's something where trying to figure out, you know, although you might get a kid who's, who loves playing offense, when they come here, they do have to buy in on what we're trying to do defensively. But to answer your question, is trying to find guys who love the game and have a certain toughness and play with grit. All right, Coach, before we get to the fun questions, I got another basketball question for you. We, we've gotten Jeff's kind of take on this year's team and what they need to do better to kind of get where he sees them going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on where you think this team is and what it's capable of. I think we got a chance to be really good this year. I think right now, you know, we have a lot of room for improvement, but I think if you watched our game against Arkansas, you maybe seen a lot of potential. I think there were certain stretches in that game where, you know, you could see how good we could be. But then it was certain stretches where it was like, all right, well, we definitely have to get better. But to answer your question, man, I think we have a lot of potential in this group and I think we have a chance to to really to really be good. All right, coach. So this is the first time we've had you on the show and it's great talking basketball, but we like to have a little bit of fun as well. So Mike okay, and I are going to ask you some questions kind of in a lightning round fashion. You know, whatever comes to your mind, answer. There's no wrong answers, but we're curious as to what you think on some of these things. You ready? Got you. All right. What's your favorite restaurant in Norfolk? My favorite restaurant in Norfolk. It probably has to be Varia. Good answer. Love the maid. Yeah, I was going to say I haven't eaten there. What's good? The chicken parmesan is really good. Yeah, it's a good spot, Aaron. You should definitely take your wife. Don't tell her too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Varia's pretty good, man. That's my spot. I like it. All right. I'm, I'm assuming that the answer to this next one is one of two places. But okay. what is your favorite spot on campus? My favorite spot on campus has to be the Mitch. <laughs> is that an easy answer? Yeah, that's one of my favorite spots, too. The limited amount of times that we get a chance to get over there, but we're looking to get over there real soon again. Right, right, right. You haven't been over there in a while. 
I know. Maybe the next few days. All right. I know you don't have a lot of free time, but when you do have free time, what's your favorite thing to do? When I do have free time, I like spending time with my family and friends, but, you know, outside of that, uh, top golf. Top golf is fun. You actually go out and golf too? I do. I haven't been in a while because we're working so much, but, but me and Coach Kavinsky definitely try to get out there when we can. All right. Well, oh, we, I'm going to have to try to get on one of those I, rounds I, with you and Coach Kobe. Oh, hey, yeah, don't be stingy, Mike. Know. You need a fourth. You need a fourth. Come on, man. Right, right, right. I don't know. I know. I don't know when it will be. Maybe hopefully sometime this summer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that'll be great. All right. Uh, this could be a tough one. Favorite basketball movie. Favorite basketball movie. Ah, uh, has to be torn between two right now. You can give us both. One. Well, well, no. I'll just probably six man. Six man. Comedy. I like yeah. it. What what was the other one? You know, the other one, I can't really even think of the name right now. But that's crazy, right? You know how someone asks you a question that you can't think of it? With uh, with Ray Allen. He got game. Denzel. He got, well, he got game. All right, well, he got games, number one. <laughs> he got games, number okay. one. Okay. That's a really good movie. Yeah. Hey, you realize that you have a co-worker that is in a basketball movie that you probably enjoyed? Really? Yeah. What's what's that? The fellows on your squad were amazed last season every time this came up. A lot of them, it was their favorite movie, and they didn't know. You want to let them in on the secret, Mike? Yeah, Coach Delicia was in one of the scenes in uh, Love and Basketball. Oh, I did hear about that. during the When they showed the game, right? The Sparks game. That's right. I, did. I, I need to go back and watch that. I heard about that, though. Good, that's good information. Yeah. All right. So, if you were going to choose, and this is this may be even harder than the basketball one for you. I don't know. Your favorite musical artist or band? Favorite music artist has to be J. Cole. It's a no-brainer. Another solid answer. I'm interested in this because you're still a young guy. You, you're still up with uh, I don't the know current. If I'm young. I don't know if I'm young. But All right. Well, that, that leads into this question even more. Uh, so you're trying to connect with these kids and man maintain a good relationship. Have you found yourself having to get up to date on what they're into to maybe connect easier? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were in the airport going to Ball State, and uh, <laughs> I grabbed Chauncey, Vashon, and uh, Devin, and I said, all right, so what's the new music? Can you guys send me the new music to my Apple Music so I can know? <laughs> so, yeah, just trying to quote-unquote stay hip to what these guys are listening to like you said that 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 definitely helps being able to relate to these guys so do you have a playlist out there that we we, we should check out i don't have a playlist right now but uh, i mean you can't go like like i said you can't go wrong with j cole j cole right j cole and drake just put out a well no drake's put out a new album but j cole's featured on the album that's a great song for the dogs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mike is Mike. way more in touch. Mike, you're hit, Mike. I like it. <laughs> I know we, we, we might have to collaborate on a on I mean we, we have one for tailgating for football, but we don't have we don't have a playlist for basketball yet. We, we may have to put that together. And uh, 
get favorite yeah. songs from all the guys as they come on the podcast. I, I want to hear what the, the weight room playlist sounds like. That's what I yeah. want. <laughs> Coach Saha. Coach Saha, I got that for you. Yeah, we definitely have to gonna have to get that one. So we always ask the players, tell us or share with Monarch Nation a hidden talent or some sort of interesting fact about one of their players that nobody would know, not fans wouldn't know. And we've heard all kinds of interesting things. Do you have a hidden talent that you know that one of the guys on the coaching staff has that Monarch Nation would think was really cool? Do I have a hidden talent or, or does someone on staff have one of One of your fellow coaches, someone on staff. Um, but you as well if you got one. Yeah, let me, I'm thinking, this is, let me think this one deep. Let me think this one deep. <laughs> All right, well, this isn't really a hidden talent, but Coach Kavinsky is actually, he's a great, he's a great golfer. I mean, he's really good. Is that a hidden talent? I mean. It's the toughest. I think it's the toughest sport there is, or mm-hmm. game, whatever you want to call it. It is the toughest thing to do. Because if you think about any sport, if you're athletic enough, there's something you can do in it to make it work for you. If you're athletic mm-hmm. in soccer, you can just play defense. You don't have to be great with the ball, but you can tackle. Football, you can play on defense. Again, you just need to be athletic and play defensive yeah, end, and there's not a whole lot to it. Basketball, you can play defense and rebound, right? Exactly. I just feel like he's, I don't know, man. I wasn't expecting yeah. him to be that good in golf, but I don't know, man. He's gonna. Well, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, grew up playing baseball, and you got a guy throwing a baseball ninety miles an hour, moving sideways, down, all kinds of stuff. But that stupid golf ball is just standing there, still looking up, staring at you, going, "I'm right here. I'm not moving. All you have to do is hit me. You just hit me straight." And it. It just never seems to work out that way. Yeah, I know, man. Or if you do hit the ball, it never goes where you want it to go. <laughs> well, keep yeah. playing with Coach Kobe. Maybe he'll pick some stuff up. Yeah, I know, man. He told me he's going to start charging me by the hour, but <laughs> we'll see I get that employee discount. <laughs> I bet you he doesn't doesn't take it easy either. I mean, everything I see him do is like he's, he's a true competitor, no matter what it is. Like he wants to win and be the best. So... He probably would just totally whoop my butt. Yeah, you know. Yeah. If you know him, that's, that's how he is. <laughs> All gas, no breaks. All right, Coach. I think we can close this up with one question, and that's what is the ceiling for this year's team? I think the ceiling is definitely getting to the NCAA tournament and winning the conference championship. But like you mentioned earlier, man, it's, it's a lot of potential that we got to just tap into and get everybody to buy in. We definitely got a, a lot of work ahead of us to continue to keep getting better. Well, we hope, we can't wait to watch how this season unfolds. We'll be rooting for you. Um, thank you for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. And go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Appreciate you guys having me.